Grand Rising, everybody. It's Anja Africa, AAX The Matrix. I am out on the beach with a very special brother. He has a story to tell you all that I know everyone has been dying to hear. And I'm so privileged to be able to do this interview because his story is one of courage and survival. So I'm gonna let Bobby, the convict, do the extended version of his introduction and tell you what he's all about and his experience. Thank you, good morning guys. Um, I am Bobby Convict by my nickname, real name Motlamin Bob. I born Gambian, the smiling coast of West Africa, they normally say, and born from the North Bank of the Gambia, New Mindufa. Well, I take this journey believing like uh, if I, uh, I can be succeed in life by being in Europe and then uh, uh, was having an idea like it was the best option for me to move on so that I can help the family in here because there's nothing strong in here to help up with some you know capital for them so I decided to take this journey on the 13th April 2016 then I left the Gambia without informing anybody even my parents didn't know that I'm moving on so I moved from Senegal then to Mali Mali then Burkina Burkina to Niger so from Niger then I moved to Agadez where we normally take um, uh, this Hilux pickups taking us to Libya and some are going to Algeria. But indeed, road experience have different circumstances and you know, different people, movement, how people are living and in their conditions, people's attitudes are quite different. Yeah. So the life I live in Gambia is quite nice for me and definitely I enjoyed it, but the life out there it's too horrible because I didn't live with them, I didn't know their language, it's too hard. So Mali, Burkina, then Agadez was washed for me. Then the desert comes was the washes. You know, whereby we have less food, less waters, you know, and we drive five days in a pickup before we reach Libya. Whereby we see different, you know, struggles. Like day in the desert, people are dying, you know, cars are capsizing, people run out fuel. Got run out from fuels, people run out from food and water, you know? Sorry, slow down. You said um, cars are capsized? Yeah, cars are almost salted. Sometimes you see them raising in the desert. Okay, the just, cars. Like, yeah. the, the cars are driving so fast driving that they're so, flipping over. They're flipping over. And there are people in the people cars? People in the cars. Some die seriously, some get wounded, and there's nobody there to pick them up. And they just leave the body yeah, there? Yeah, there's a leaf with the body there. So, you know, wow. when other Muslims come since they cover the body in the desert, some they don't mind to pick you up. Hence your water or your freshness from your car, they don't mind. They'll just dump you in there and move away. And nobody will give you a chance to pick you up. So you'll be walking from drugs to the desert till you got, lose your life. And you went through all of this? Yeah, I went through all of this. I see different, different kind of experience. Some of them, they've been sold to slavery, uh, how to call it, through human trafficking into prisons, and which, I have, uh, which I've experienced. My agent that I paid my money from Agadis called, um, his name is Tijan Jalo. A Senegalese, I paid him my money and then he moved on to Sodos because some of the guys who didn't pay some cash, like five to six people. And then he was afraid like those guys gonna walk away from in Libya without paying his money. Then he sold us to the mafias in Libya. And those guys kept us as a victims in their prison. So we spent there two to three days. Then we called the agent and he found, uh, found out that we were sold. He have to come and pick us. Wow. You know. 
So what what is happening to people when in slavery? Are you seeing people abused? Yeah, people have been abused. Most of lady girls, because most of these Nigerian girls who are taking this journey, most of them, they they face this because most of their agents took took them from Nigeria to Libya and they used them for sex slaves. Oh, you know, this is heartbreaking. They used them for sex slaves and. Uh, most of us were working, they used us for work, hard labor, and they would build. What kind of labor are they having you do? Some of them, you know, majority, the major Libyans who you know that they didn't have job, they didn't have nothing to do, what they did is they, they you normally talk of go teeth scars and they force you, if you don't go, they shoot you in the foot or, you know, they what do other stuff. What they again? They make you do what? They make you go teeth, teeth oh, some, steal for steel, them. Uh, steel steel for them. cars. cars uh, you go mine some things for them. This that gold side you mine for them for force without. And you, you know, don't get any of them. Yeah, you don't mining. get any any of them for them for those minings. You know? And you said people were being beaten. D yeah, people abused. were being abused different ways because if you're in the cell, if they put you in that prison, they'll be beating you every day for you to call the agent for the agent to pay the, pay the money. Wow. So if the parent the agent didn't pay the money. Every day you have to face the consequences. They will have to beat you very serious, or the agent have to come, you know, and call your parents in Gambia mm -hmm. and tell them that, you know, your son is here, he's been suffering a lot. So would you mind, you know, send money so that they can release him? And the amount of money the, the, the agent will be asking to call is two curses. Some will be asking 60,000, 50,000, it's up to that, you know? Which doesn't didn't worry. That's like five hundred dollars, yes. six hundred dollars. Yeah. If in some hacks for hundred thousand dollars, it's depend to the detention detention prison you are, which is so stressful. And then most of the Libyans will you will call you for a job, you do hard labor for them. Some you pack their stuff, pack their food, luggage, and you know change them. They took you to the desert to do farming for them. There is no payment. Some they won't give you food. They didn't care, you know. They didn't care about that. Hence, you know they have their guns. You have to work by force or, you know, you face whatever they did to you. Now, you said you took the journey through several countries. Yeah. How long did that journey take? Because you said five days in the desert. There's five days in the desert. From, from Gambia to Agadez, it took me eight, nine days. Okay. Yeah, because uh, when I got to Mali, when I was about to leave Mali and join Burkina, Baden, you know, they said the then president, Jame, um didn't allow Gambians to take the journey from going to Bagway. And then we found a rumor like when you when you reach in the border in Burkina, they have to send you back to Gam to Mali so that they can you can come back to Gambia. Right. But it was a rumor, but I didn't believe that. The Burkina people just have their habit of kidnapping Gambians because when they kidnap Gambians, they pay money to be released, and that's a habit of the Gambians. They don't want to waste time by taking the journey. When you kidnap them, they pay money and move on, mm -hmm. because the more they waste time, is the more they get in delay. Right. Yeah. So Burkina people, when you reach in the border, they you know, put you in the cell straight away. Any amount of money you pay, they will keep their money, in, but you, they will still keep you in that prison. Wow. So when they know that you're getting you know, weak, they will send you back in the border in Mali, then they'll leave you in there. So when you, when you enter in Burkina, you, then you need to pay um, a motorcycle by to smuggle you and cross the border. And people would never notice. Yeah. They would take the back way. They would think just because they paid this money one time yeah. Yeah. that they're going to keep going freely. But yeah. they don't realize that every border they reach, yeah. there's going to be some kind of kidnapping Kidding, that's why. or detention. Yeah. So how many prisons have you been in? Prisons? Well, I started the prison. Before before I left Gambia, uh, they put me in Amdalai police station first because when I was passing through the... Immigration called me and asked me for the ID because by then people were moving a lot and then they don't want nobody to move. Mm -hmm. 
So when they see you moving with a bag, they call you, ask you for your ID, and then they have to screen you, ask you where you're going. So when they found me as a youth man, I'm looking strong, and then they call me and then I ask him, they ask me for ID. I said, this is my ID. He said, can I have it? I said, no, you can't have it for what? You asked me for the ID, this is it, but I can't give it to you. He said, no, you must hand it over. I have to check, you know, you are the right person in the ID. I said, this is my ID. Then he took it from my hand and tell me that come inside the station. So when I got in the station, you know, they put me in the cell and tell us that wait for us for a minute or for an hour, we'll see, we investigate. So I've been there almost two to three hours trying to let them understand that I'm not going to, uh, to going to Libya. I'm just going to buy some markets, you know, and come back like, uh, you know, I'm doing business. So I go to Senegal, buy markets and go to Gambia. But then most of these Senegalese, they come and buy a market in the Gambia and go and sell in Senegal. And it, what is this market? This was like maybe phone, accessories, then phone, this jacket, charges, earphones, and then okay. clothes. Okay. Now, but in Senegal, nobody come and get these stuff from Gambia. But right now, major ones will go to Senegal and get it. Okay. Yeah. So they kept me in there almost two to three hours. They, then they hand over me my ID so that they don't waste my time. So when I cross, and I went to change my money, and you know, Senegalese have this habit of whenever they're changing you, changing you their currency, they blackmail you. So when I was changing, I was having uh, seven thousand five hundred dollars, and then the dollar, uh, the dollar was more very quite good than the safer. It was six hundred and ten dollars. This was in twenty sixteen. So every six hundred and ten dollars, you have to get one D-mail. That's the ten thousand dollars in one sheet paper of Senegal safer. So this guy, when I give him six hundred and ten dollars, he will give me the blue one, the the, the demo safer, the two thousand safer and told me that that's the $10,000. Why? I know enough that this is not the right thing. I know that he have to, if I give him each $610, he have to give me $10,000 And he's trying to give him two. Yeah, he's just wow. trying to give me $2,000. That's a big Acting difference. like he's more wiser than me, I tell him, look, if you want to change this money, why didn't you leave it? Then I go to the Western Union to change it. He said, even that is worse, just let me change it for you. When he changed no. already, I tell him, look, don't act so fool. I'm more wiser than you. Give me back my money and you know you change this right way or move and left you in here because my brothers will come and they will kick your ass. I said, Are you serious? I said, Yeah. Then he became loyal and his friend come and tell him that look, we gotta change this guy the right way. He wow. changed the money. So wow. then he brought all the cars, then we changed it in the right way. Then I took a motorbike, he took me to the uh, garage. I took a car from there in Kaulak. From, from Kaulak, I take um, uh, express uh, transport uh, voyage. There's a transport company that's called Express. So I joined that one from there to Bamako. Then when we reach in Bamako, we spend there one night, then the following night, they join us six in a ship. Because you know the boss have two this side, two this side, and middle walkway. Yes. But they'll put a plant timber on the middle, and two for six will sit in the same one. Mm -hmm. So there's no space. You see, it's too hard to breathe. And each, every checkpoint we reach, in Mali, we have to pay St. Kimil Sefer. That's true Mali. In Burkina, Gambians each will have, have to pay Kens Mil Sefer for the Gambians. Mm -hmm. So when we cross the border in Agadez, Niger was the easiest way because they asked for their Mil Sefer. That's to each and every checkpoint they have. You have to pay that. And, you're, and so this is like a tire yeah. in Gambia. Yeah. No, it's everybody. But they, they, Burkina, they focus on the Gambian to, uh, to every, in, in uh, any, any country. They know you. How do they know if you're Gambian or not? Don't people in Africa look alike outside of East Yeah, Africa? but you know, they have this ID card. Our ID card, Gambian ID card, have a, before Biden, the ID card of the Gambia have a, um, this symbol of the ID, a SIM card behind. Yes. And then when you go there, you give the Gambian ID, 
the city, the Republic of the Gambia. Mm -hmm. And when they turn your ID card, they found that your ID didn't have yes, that SIM. Then you have to pay t uh, t 20 mil shaver, 30,000 shaver. Wow. Yeah, but you, if you have that ID that, that have the sign of the SIM that you have to pay 10 mil. Yes. Yeah. So when I found out that this is going to be horrible, so I have to do some, uh, like, photocopy my ID in a kind of way, original. Mm -hmm. So any checkpoint that I reach, then I have to give, to give them the fake ID card. Mm -hmm. Then when they ask for money, then I walk away into the bus and move on. So this is the system that I use till I get into Agadis. You will keep going to the back. Yeah. Then oh, whenever okay. I, I submit my ID, no need for me to go and stand and wait for my ID. So I have to go back to the bus and act like, you know, they've already paid and they give me my original ID. Mm -hmm. So this is the system that I use. So when I come to Agadis, I was having TV because um, the, I didn't full experience and the other stuff's like it's not good to my system. You didn't have uh, vaccines and you no, know, I didn't have vaccine. All this stuff. I didn't have all those so stuff. You got tuberculosis. Yeah, to be, mm -hmm. yeah. So when I come, it was so horrible. I was vomiting and then things were strange. I didn't have proper medication. But I see WFP. They they have a project and UNNA. But I didn't want to go back in there because maybe if I go back, I go there to ask for help. They are reporting you. Yeah, they will, be, they will report me or they will find a way to send me back to my country. But I said, no, here is too far away from Gambia. I don't think like if you come to this place, they might have the chance to send you back to Gambia. So you followed your intuition. Yeah. You listened. Yeah. So, but I said, no, it doesn't make sense. You know, let me just find um, this uh, neighbor that I call Moringo. Then I found it in there. Then I bought it. I drink this. It helped me a lot. Then Monday come, I pay my money to the agent. It was fifteen thousand dollars. So Tijanjalo. Then they took us Monday night to the garage where these Libyan looks drivers coming, and they say they offload their stuffs and they pick us from there. Then they took us that night to the journey. So I use much of my experience, like you know, if I have to use a, if I have to use a system, I will suffer in this journey a lot because what I experience is quite enough for me. Why should I shouldn't I wise enough to make you know, much ideas to use my mind to see whether it will be easy for me. So, we will be having like 20 helocks, more than that. They have to come from different corners, moving on the same desert. Some will be moving to Algeria, some will be moving to Libya. All the different trucks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But these uh, pickups, the major ones are going to Libya. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, in the desert, when are we coming, we lift the Agadesh border. That's not the border, it's just from the... Uh, Last, when it's the biggest city before you left the desert, going to Libya. Yes. Because Niger uh, desert is big enough than Libyan desert, I think so. So in there, then we lived there, then we joined our hillocks. We were, I think, 23, something, 22, 23 people in back of the hillocks. So we were the lotus, the crushes like luggage. I would sit like this, another person sit close to you, another person sit. So like in between your legs? In between my legs. They're and packing everyone Packing in. everyone, and they'll put a stick inside it, uh, trunk behind, and you have to face, uh, climb and face the stick, hold it strong so that, you know, it won't blunt you. So, we joined that, then the journey trekkers started moving. So this is the first time I explored this thing, but I get brave, like, you know, this is what I wanted, and I have it, so I have to be brave, confident, and I have to move on with it. Then I took the journey, then I move on. So when we were going, uh, we go almost the night till half night. Then they stop. They said we need to sleep, but I didn't couldn't able to sleep. They park, so we sleep till six o'clock, um, five to six o'clock. Then they wake us. We hop in the car again. Everybody knows your car. If you mistakenly join another car, 
later on when they find out they'll put you down so everybody know must to know how what car you belong which in. car you belong in and they're not feeding you they're not giving no they're not feeding you you have to buy these um uh pound at uh, cassava called gary and then uh, some if you can and uh, sugar milk powder then two gallons of five liters water so it's up to you That's but for me when i was living i found out like the water in there is not it's not test good and it's it's horrible so make you sick. yeah and then i buy these uh mineral waters and turn them into the gallon then i have to mark my gallons and know that this is mine because all the gallons that they buy is the same so if you are there, you are packed in these vehicles with other people. Are people trying to steal from each other? Oh, that that's, 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 ev that's happening all the time. Sometimes you walk in, you see the car, um, somersault, and then people dies. If you're full, you have less food, the car stops. You jump in, pick some water's food and some water's, uh, like a bag and food and water, then you put it on your own and move on. So you would take it from the dead yeah, person? Yeah. And then I had That's a story so from a friend who met me later. He said when the car engine broke, he saw some guys in the rocks. They pee in the in, they pee and put milk in there and drink it for for help them sustain, you know, before they get um, rescued. I mean, people always act like urine is disgusting, but urine is it's it's natural water. It's the natural from your water body. that you drink. It's already yeah. filtered. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not like grossed out by it but the idea that you have to do it as a last resort is the part that makes it so sad yeah you know tell me what was the worst part about this journey for you well the worst part is uh, there are many plenty worst part but the worst part is for me coming back home it was a very funny part when I paid five times boat the first boat that I joined was the boat was was leaking when we get to the middle of the sea and then everybody was shouting. But I always got in my mind, like my mama told me, when I was a kid, like whenever you are in a boat and the boat is about to collapse or something happened to the boat, always steady one side and be at the back of the boat. Whenever everything sinked out, the boat will come out on top. So when the boat was leaking, this goes to my mind and I have to sit at myself one at my side. And that was this my friend, uh, Mohammed Wage, that we normally call himself Talk Life. And then we were together. He told me that convey, you know, we have to sit, uh, keep sitting at one place. We will make it. And I believe in myself. Then we sit at one side. I didn't move. It's just like I, I get stuck in one place without talking or moving in an inch. So people were jumping, shouting, you know. And the captain was trying to move, turn over the boat so that he will make it before the app goes off. So everybody don't want to sit down. They were all confused, shouting, they were going to die. Panicking. They're panicking. So when they comes to a certain point, like we're seeing the riverbank, we're seeing the light, something that we reach, and they were jumping inside the water, and you know, so that they will come through, so that they can swim and come. But they couldn't. It's too far. It's too far. So before we get to the riverbank, then the air was finishing the boat. So where I was seated, I was seated, water is coming inside, and we were only two remaining in the boat. Me, the captain, and that. And your friend. And my friend. And then everybody jumps. Some dies, some make it out, some get weak, and then some flat. So when we come down to the river, to the beach, then the boat gets stuck, then my friend told me, dude, we are down in the beach, you can jump over. It's there where I realized that I'm down, I'm safe. But when we came down, before we came, we found out a lot of bodies are outside the water. And then when we reached, we called for the agents to come and pick this body. 
and they wait there till the morning time. They come and found that there are some that are weak, there are some that are dead. And I think the number that I know was almost 13, 14 people who passed away. The rest they didn't see it. And they rescued only 18 people. So After these people, these bodies go unidentified. Their families don't even know that no, they're the drowned? No, the family they didn't even, even know they, they, they drowned. What, what would you say is the age range of these young men? Because I'm assuming this is all men, right, at this point? All of them were men. And in our boat, we only have two females that are Nigerians. And then, then I think the oldest one I could, if I could imagine would be like some roughly from 37, 38. He's the, if he reached 40, no, some 38, 39 to 37, I could say. So what would you say is the age group of people that are taken the back way? Well, roughly because uh, lately some kids were more in, uh, uh, invented of moving on the back way. Some of them will be like um, some 16, 15 going on. They don't have the intelligence yeah, or, the, or the wherewithal. Some of them will be crying when things get hurt, crying so serious, and you have to be there backing them. Consoling yeah, them. Yeah, consoling because I have my two brave kids that, you know, they're always together with me. When, I, when I've been in the, in the, in the seaside, uh, I meet them there, but then the little one, the other one is, I take, take him as my younger brother, like biologically, but we're not close with it. His name is Jagger, Cliff and Jack. The other one is, uh, is uh, we call him Bambi now. You know, Did they make it? Yeah, they one make it, and Jagger was deported back. You know, you know, but Bambi now crossed, and then they were crying every day. So if I'm not there, it's tough with them. If I'm, if I'm not there, it's not tough with them, but if I'm there, they always feel happy. They feel better. Yeah, so they feel better. So when this boat collapsed, we came back. I was a businessman in the place. So I normally buy food stuff, then sell it again. Because when I come in the system, in, in, the, in the camp, it was so horrible. They give, only give us 30 minutes to come outside and take breakfast. And then one hour to come outside in the afternoon to take lunch. And the evening by 6 o'clock, they release us. But in this, when I experienced like this is too hot for me, I was having only 40 dinners remaining in my pack. So I started making some, some breakfast, selling spaghetti and bread, and making, buying eggs, boiling it and selling. You were hustling. Hustling, so things was working out. I started seeing money. I said, whoa, I can make something out of it. So then I started uh, buying cigarettes with these yogurts and bread, selling them. And it, I was making more money. So I kept moving. So when I keep moving, I found out like I, I can make something out and I can help one or two people. I start putting my friends, the young ones in the business so that they can help them out. So when I bring goods and I give them, when they sold, they take the, uh, bonus, uh, the, benefit, uh, um, the bonus out of it and give me the cash. So this is how I do with them. Whenever I bring goods, they take their interest and give me the cash of the product that I bring. You can trust yeah. them. Yeah, so whenever I'm moving, I have to find a trust person, then I give him the market, then I, continue, I take a boat and go. So if I didn't make it, I come back and take over back my business. Okay. Yeah. But the second time that the boat, uh, when, uh, when we go, that one was very serious because when the boat collapsed, we were there swimming. So everybody was shouting. And we were there, only 13 people remaining, I could say. So there's a fisherman who came over to help us pick dust from there brothers back. So when he brought us back, people were saying, look, you have to try and go back. This is not good for you. And it was horrible. And the other one, they captured us and took us to a prison whereby they used both men and women in sex lift. 
there are some Libyan men, I don't know whether they're Libyans or Egyptians or Tunisian, who came in for asking for, for men to have sex with, and they're men. And the rest will be coming, picking these females, um, migrants for sex, sex slave. And they told us, like, you know, whenever they don't, don't using the females that will come to the men. So I said, this is not going to happen to me. So I got to the toilet and found out there's a, to uh, a, a window in there and it is too big. So this guy must be mistaken of putting that uh, that window in there. So I told my friend, like, look, we, there's a toilet in there and your wife, you come with your wife, is from Guinea, Conakry, and the wife is pregnant. These guys are coming here taking females and males for sex. If they took your wife, that would be very horrible. And this is very curious. She's pregnant and she might be eight, yeah, eight or nine months. Why don't we break it? Why don't we unite together? We tell them that we're gonna pee and break the window. We make your wife escape. Then we can follow her to go. He said, no, no, no. When they find out they're gonna kill us, I don't want to lose my wife. I said, you are very stupid. You must be very crazy. You are here, you must be brave, brave to do something to help yourself out. He said, what? I said, yeah. Then I talked to the other guy who is very stubborn like me. And then we moved together. We go in there, we broke the window. He didn't wait. Then immediately broke the window, then he move on. And I come on and tell this guy that, look, tell your wife to go to the toilet and jump on the window. Whenever she gone, then you be there to follow him. Whenever you move, then I'll be there to follow him, tell him to move. And we use that system. He did it? Yeah. Anytime you're about to move, you have to knock your friend and tell him that I'm moving. So use the toilet window to escape. And you have to do it with someone you trust. Because yeah. some people would be foolish yeah. enough That's to system. go back and tell the people, oh, they're trying to leave. Like they're trying to be, to get some kind of bonus. Yeah. You, might, you know, but this is, a slave, this is a slave mentality, you know. Yeah. When you are captured like that, you are so fearful that you will be... Almost like they don't even have to beat you or control you because your mind will, they will already have control of your mind. Yeah, yeah. And you would be thinking, oh no, they will kill us if we try to run. And you have to make a decision. You want to die where you stand or you want to die fighting? Because either way, you may end up dead. So why not go out the way you want to? And what happens to these guys that are sex slaves? Do you ever see them again after that? Are they ever the same? Well, um, some of them, um, uh, I could, uh, if I could remember, the one they start taking, some will come crying and complaining like, what? Oh, they will burn them weak. And then when I see this, it was so shock. Well, I'm not going in for this. I have to make a solution out. So, so when they brought them back, are they taking them to women or these are men having sex with other men? Some men are having sex with older men in there. And they're forcing them. Yeah, they're forcing them. And, and some other men are there coming taking women for sex. They don't negotiate because this house is the store for where they pack these black people. And they have a special big house where they stay and do their nonsense. They're having guns. They have a security guard in Nigeria to which they're having a gun. And this then. And then. And then, you know, most of these prisons you meet their Nigerians as bodyguards. It's not like I'm trying to accuse them, but all these prisons that you go to Nigerians, and they're not even, this is not their country, but they go to, this is how they make a living, yeah. enslaving their own people, and they don't feel bad about it. Thank you very much. This sounds like slavery. Yeah. This is modern day slavery. Yeah. yeah. But we Gambians, we always unite wherever you go. In, in Libya, they respect the Gambians because if you touch one, you have to get the whole... Deal with everybody. Yeah, deal with everybody. So that's how we are. When, when you see a Gambian moving in Libya as single, don't intervene. 
in the first place if they see you single moving they will attack you but at last when they understand that so if they see the yeah, if this is a gambia when they touch one you see a group will come in behind and you have to escape you have to find a way to escape then you say, so they will tell you you are a gambian yes they said oh there's a matter for, forget about them they don't want trouble. they don't want trouble so this is how they act boy that's because you cannot defeat yeah. us in yeah. numbers yeah i respect so, that sure but the major prisons you go you meet nigerians in there and they have they are the most popular people having prisons in libya whereby it will be controlled by the libyans yeah. and the libyans each and every big man whom you know that he's a money man have a prison the small ones have the big ones have they don't mind you have a make a house and build a prison inside where you kept slaves to earn a living and you'll be asking each and every person one thousand dollars or one thousand dinars to pay now you have to tell me honestly yeah you have taken the back way and you said you are your group is called the back way boys yeah. right mm -hmm. first tell me more about the back way boys and then i will ask my question okay well the back way boys mm -hmm. in my group well definitely we are confidential but the best some were a little bit lazy lazy because they're not used to the system that they see in their presence so they were afraid but for me i never have a bit of been afraid in the journey i believe like you know i took the journey and i could be it it's not like somebody sent me or you know i took it for the sake of helping my family because the presence that i left behind it's not, uh, it's not was good enough for me. There's nobody to support my family. And then I have to be doing the best thing to get to uh, make sure they get what they want for them. Well. But I found out that in the first place, what I was going for was too small. What I was earning was too small. If I move into this journey, I may do much better. You know, but uh, boys are always boys. You know, Gambians are definitely big guys. They're always trying. So what is the back way boys? The backway boys is sometimes so it's it can be very silly because across to the Sahara this this are the pain in the and the pain in Libya itself is too terrible. I think that's that's the history inside can be what I said is the backway boys. Okay, so I I'm gonna tell you what I think. Yeah. When you said backway boys to me, mm -hmm. I thought it was a group of brothers that had taken the back way and now you all are here supporting each other. Okay. After being sent back. Okay, that that that's happened. We were the group of back. We were 47 written Gambians. Okay. We were in the in the detention camp in Trixita in Medina. Okay. But we never wanted to come back home. Okay. We always want to be released and go to Italy. At least let's go to Europe. Mm -hmm. But we don't have this chance. So where we in this prison, every night the Libyans will come and take a pipe, hard pipe. And everybody have to get two cuts. So whenever they beat you, there have to be a mark of blood on your skin. So you have to take these two cuts right. every night before you sleep. This is their choice to do it. Just to beat you. For just no to beat reason. you for no reason. Would you say that Libyans are racist? Well, uh, I just could say they, they get the mind of an animal by acting those those things because I don't have the mind to do that such a tool. Almost. But they only doing this to black people, to Africans, right? Yeah. So I would say that is racist. Yeah, it's racist, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And and when they when they when this rescue team rescue you, they won't do nothing to you. But when they offload you from the seaport, these Libyans will come and search you. Each and every amount of money you have, they will take it from Who you. Who is the rescue team? 
Well, this rescue team are very funny. They act like this Italian rescue team. They will. They have a big ship in the in the oh, in so ocean. They're rescuing you, but yeah. they're really making sure you don't come to their part of the yeah. land. Yeah. When they rescue you from like, the water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When they rescue you, they will take you back. They will tell you that you will be moving to Germany or in Spain, anyone you want to move. But they will be rescuing like almost 10, 15 boats. And when you come in, they separate the boys and the girls. Yeah. And you see this chamber, there are boys, these are girls. So this was too funny. You know, that, that moment was very stressful to me. I couldn't keep it alone. So when they um, rescue us, I come in, but some of these guys are trying to tell me like, this is not the rescue ship team. This, this guy did the part. I tell him, how do you know? We are in the rescue ship, we are moving to Italy. He said, no, this is going, these guys are the boys. I didn't believe, because these guys are speaking Arabic, they are not speaking Italian. So I was fully straight. Yeah, they, so, they sound like immigration yeah. to me, deportation. So it got to a certain level where we were there somewhere, there, two, three days they said, but for us, the very day they pick us is the very day they move us to the to this, um, to this seaport. Hmm. When we moved, they took us in the middle of the ocean and they were squashed. Tell us that anywhere you want to go from Germany to Spain, do we move on you there? And then when I found this room, I was shocked. I sit in one place, they give us biscuit, waters, and some hoodies, jackets to move to on. To Yeah. And I believe, like, because, yeah, these guys are giving us jackets and food stuff. They are, they are the rescue team. Don't tell me that. They said, no, this is the deportation team. So later on in the evening, they took, start moving back to the Libyan coast. And we went to drive almost five, six hours we see the Libyan flag mm. and we see a flight moving down going to the airport and this was up yeah this is Libya this is Libya this now is not Italy so, yeah. they, so they do that so that you guys don't start getting violent or excited yeah. they lied to you and one day I found out many people were jumping from the ship going down deep oh, to the water gosh. and a lot of more than 200 people just put themselves down but I couldn't do it, you know. This just doesn't want it for me to put myself inside the water. Water, no, because now you're risking killing yeah. yourself. So I have but to. But this thing, yeah. this when I hear about these stories about people jumping in the water, and it, it sounds like slavery to me. Can you imagine when, when ancestors, people who connect with their ancestors, being kidnapped from Africa to be taken to the Americas or Europe for slavery? This is the same thing they did. It's the same thing. When they realized they was being taken away from their homes, they jumped in the water, they killed, they would rather die than be taken away from their homes. And now we have people jumping into the water and killing themselves not to go back home. What is happening to us? Well, it was stressful. So that was the morning because I, I wanted to intervene and fight, but it wasn't the best. Wasn't doing. Yeah. You use your once again. You you. I believe you survived this entire journey through all these countries, all of this abuse, all of this trauma, because you used your intuition. You listened to God telling you how you should move. That's right. Because you needed to be here to tell the story for other people to hear it. Because people cannot imagine. That's right. They look at TV. They listen to the radio, and all they hear is the superficial great things about these other countries but they don't realize what it takes to survive there they don't realize the abuse and the things that they will undergo they can't appreciate it you know so what i wanted to say to you before i wanted you to to say honestly if you could destroy this entire system of the back way would you do it or do you think 
it serves a purpose. What is supposed that we can destroy it, but it's going to take a long time. So you think it would be of take to just wipe it yeah, up? Yeah, we can wipe it up. If, if so, we... in that case, what if you formed your organization, the Backway Boys, yeah. to not only support the people that have been through the trauma of the Backway, but to be organized in a way that people could find a legal way, could find sponsors, could find mentors, and have a safer way to move. Yeah, uh, you know, that's happened to me when I came newly back in the Gambia. I was having interview in different radio stations and TV, and some YouTubers normally come in for me for interview. But, you know, some of them, they when they come, they put things in cover, like, you know, I don't know what happens, but when they ever they come, like somebody's about to sponsor you, but they need to, they need you to put a video on it. When they come for an interview, whenever they left, I will never see them again. So whenever, uh, when I realized that these guys are doing making fun for me, so I have to stop, and I didn't have the cash to able to get my own camera so that I can be telling history. And when I came in, things was very tough for me and my family too. And then I have to start fresh again so that I can help them strong again. Yes. And and when I came back, I was getting interview every Saturday and th Thursday, like Friday, Saturday, from Abdullahi uh, John, president office. So John is from the president office. He always have interview with me. Yeah, but I never see anything or something out of it. And then we have a program from the law faculty uh, on this migration dilemma. And I made a very wonderful speech for the president, which was being played every morning on Paradise FM, every seven o'clock. They'll be playing this on the radio station and everybody have to be listening to it, to the train. So, but all these interviews, I never have nothing out of it. So when this comes out, we went to find out like, you know, we were signing it, we were having an agreement with the UN in Libya, like if we come back home in Gambia, there will be support for us. Which means when we come back, either you and our IOM have to get gain a support for us. Yes. You know, this, because this is what we heard and what is what we uh, agreed in there. Because I was the one representing Gambia in, in my during time in there. Yes. I was just running Gambians to come back home from the representative, uh, from the, our representative ambassador in there. Mm -hmm. And then he recommended me very well. You know, so everywhere they took me there to register Gambians, you know, to come back home. Those who were, those who were willing to come back home, yeah. Yeah, because there are different detention camp whereby you know, yeah, you know, it was stressful. Somewhere there for how many years, they never have a phone call to their family. Mm. They will be there from four. And these Libyan prisons. They are Libyan prisons. There are, I think they have two, the two worst prisons that you know that one is underground, the other one is in containers. The one in the continent is, is a very worst Gambian which I, I ever had a Gambian who is worse like that by the name Sankum Jani. I had their living kind of in South. He's a Gambian. But he's been protected by Libyan these rebels or who gave him some weapons and cars. So he will be going in the desert capturing cars, uh, migrants and taking them to the detention. What is that? He's a Gambian. You said he's taken them where? He will be taking them to their detention camp. Their the prison. detention camp, yeah. like prisons in prisons, Libya? Prisons, yeah. You have a very big prisons. So he and no one is monitoring these Libyan no, prisons, nobody's. it sounds like. These people do this as business. They do it as, uh, you know, with earning living. 
and they're able to do this because they know these people don't have families to protect them There's nobody or anybody who's there to, to advocate for them. The agents who are there to, who are, are there for us to look at them as a brother or as our leader for them to protect us, they couldn't because they're afraid of those guys to beat them or to shoot them. Because there are a lot of black people, they shoot, some they stun them, some they kill them, you know, in the city for no reason. In my presence, twice in my presence, they shot a guy passed away. And wherever you walk in, there are these these signs that you see from the in our class. Scutting, we always put we always put our phone numbers, our parent phone numbers in there, so that if you found a dead body, you, you watch in okay, there. Okay, y'all, this is uh, I'm, my heart is breaking right now. So. I'm talking to Bobby, and Bobby, what he's showing me is that he's pulling a label on his shirt. You know how you have a label yeah. on your clothes that said how to care for the garment? He's saying that they write their name, the family name, the phone number on their clothes to identify their body. So if something happened, there's something on the clothes for you to be able to tell who they are. In the States, we would relate that to soldiers when they have these name tags. They call them dog tags. Yes. They have a necklace on their neck with their number to identify who they are and their last name. So that is what Bobby is telling me. Yeah, so that's what we're doing. Everybody have to do that. In case something happened, somebody have to pick a phone or find somewhere else to call your brother and tell them that, tell them that social person they passed away. Okay, so again, I know it's not a mistake that yeah. we met. This because, one, uh, the other one was, I was I was um, uh, helping a Libyan guy selling petrol for him in Saba, yeah. and he she's a guy that trusts me a lot so he always um, want me to move with his friend to go and take petrol like you always have every morning every monday and something like friday or thursday night yes. we have to go and take three to five hundred gallons 80 gallon, liters gallons of petrol to the petrol station and bring it to a camp whereby there is no petrol station in there yeah. it's a camp whereby it's a camp of refugee but these people from chad from Niger, you know, from Mugenians are the one basing in there. So that place doesn't have no petrol station. So they used to go to the east side uh, suburb city to collect this petrol from there and come. So this business was walking along, then I was there with his friend going to take this petrol coming. In one early morning, we were in a, just a junction like this, a turntable, and they are walking following the truck moving on. Because whenever they load the truck, we cannot climb on top of the truck you know, we, unless we use it we, uh, walk with foot and we have to be like eight people to do the job so we have a sniper on up then who is looking at us and he shot one guy by the name Momo Rijalo from Guinea-Bissau and then why we just had a gunshot boom and blood split on my face and this was not me and I see my friend down Everybody won. The drivers just accelerated the car and moved Why on. Why did the sniper shoot? I didn't know. No, for not for, for any nothing. reason. Just for no reason. He just shot because he don't want to see black. And then everybody won. So I was about to run, but I have to go back and check. To see if your friend is yeah, alive. Yeah, if he's still alive. So when I got in there, he was dead. So I have to pull the phone and call the man and tell him that. Somebody spotted us and he shot one of us. And we are doing the business from him. So he have to come with his boys. You know, everybody have a boys in Libya. He have to come with his full team to check the area what's wrong. And they have guns and stuff as yeah, Everybody, well. different kind of gun, you know? So this, he come with full team and everybody surround the place what's wrong with you. Somebody just spotted and shot, shot this guy 
for no reason. We didn't know where the gunshot came from, you know? And the driver ran away, left us here. Everybody disappeared. And we was the only one with a dead body was there. So after turned his shot and took his number and called his parents and tell him that, you know, I, even I called, I found his wife. I tell him that you are so Momoni Jalo's wife. He said, yes. He said, I'm sorry he's dead. But I didn't have to explain how he got dead. He was sick and he got dead. I'm sorry. When it's not like he yeah. got shot like yeah. that. So this is so sad. The wife was shouting and saying, "So you know," and then I'll put the phone on the ground. You know, it was so stressed, and I have to stop that journey. So when I took leave Sabad and going to Tri uh, Tripoli, our driver had a rumor about Ben Wally. He was trying to divert Ben Wally, yeah. and it's a very, it's a city that way by have a lot of criminals and it's where that this guy Sankum Jani was there. So when we leave, when we cover Chava uh, Benwali at the desert, we didn't pass through the city, we just divert the desert in the bush. So when we diverted this in the hot daily day about around 12, 1 o'clock in the day, some guys we found there's a big convoy, two pickups coming in the in our back. So these guys we saw them coming with speed and in a certain level, we have gunshot coming. So the first guy who was, the guy who was sitting near me, the gun shot him and his cheek came off. And then, Ooh. and then they shot the car, the driver fall down and the car hit, uh, hit a stone, the somersault. So when I, when I landed, I land down on the ground and my head hit a stone, so I get flat. You were unconscious? Yeah, I was unconscious, so. They have killed a lot of people, and then we are just less. It was two convoy of pickup and two pickup foreigners to shoot us. So when you were unconscious, and when you woke up, yeah, there when was I woke dead up, people around you. Yeah, when I woke up, I see my head on the rock, and then my I was bruising my back. My head was paining me in my neck, and I turn, I see a lot of dead people, bad guys burning, and then I see other cars stuck in the desert. Well, it was very stressful. So these guys, I didn't know how did they do their stuff after all. They took so many stuffs and move on, but I didn't know. When I wake up, I see people were dead, some were shoot, injured, and I couldn't able to take this back. So we have to mobilize ourselves to help those ones and move on, but I couldn't able to patient wear those ones, so I walk by foot. Abi, this sounds like war. This when I was like coming back, of war. we pass in the desert whereby they normally have this, um, like, this one come from here, this one come from here to join in the desert to make market streets. Yes. So we met that one in there and I told them that I want to make a phone call. He said, one rock with you, you have blood in your neck. I said, there are some guys from Abelkov and the Jordanian. A lot of people die, so it's only few of us who are alive and some get wounded. Did they help you? Yeah. Some helped me get food and water and give me a phone. So when I called him man that I was selling for petrol in the suburb, he told me that you were gone, you didn't let me know. So why you should have gone? Walk into Benwali, any restaurant or any shop you see or any somebody, you know, try tell him to call me. But I thought you said Benwali was supposed to be yeah, dangerous. Yeah, officer, but I don't have no choice. I so, have to go back. So that's what because I didn't know where I was going. If I continue, I didn't know where to pass to go to Tripoli. And that journey, you have to make two nights before you reach to Tripoli. So I get back to Benwali and I meet a guy who have a shop and a watch one at the same And spot. he helped you? Yeah, I spoke to him and then he put me in the back and gave me a phone call. I talk, he talked with the man. The man told him give him food and help him change his club. 
So the guy gave me food, then I, you know, I brought for me some Libyan clothes, and then I take Kind of like a disguise. Give me a food to eat, but I couldn't able to eat. You know, I just sip a little bit of the water because I wasn't in anymore. Yeah. You know, so I stayed there till the night. The guy came in to pick me up. When he picked me, he was a, a very tired friend of mine. His name was Abdul Salam. He picked me up and took me back to Libya. So in Libya now, he put me in a safe place to put me back to Tripoli. And you did all of this because you were trying to get to Italy. That was yeah, your goal. Yeah, yeah. So when I get to, uh, to Tripoli, the main place that the driver dropped us, they have to load us by car in a, in a car whereby <laughs> they don't want the police to know that they are covering blacks, smuggling blacks. So they have to remove the chairs, make us lie down very tight, and put luggage on top of us and cross us. This is like a coffin. Yeah, exactly. And cross us to. And how many of you are laying in there like that together? Well, it's, 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 it, it would take like 12 to 15 people. And, and you all my, squeezed in yeah, there like squeezed. sardines. I lie down, another person lay downs on me. Bobby. And this will be drive like 45 to an hour drive. And you are bumping around. Yeah, we're bumping. Everything. God, we're bumping. You don't know where you're going. And all you can and you can only hope that you can trust the person that's driving yeah, because you, you can't even see yeah, where they're taking some you. Some of them, they have the brief like, you know, they have to do their job. They have to keep us safe. And the other ones don't care. The they're not going to risk care. their life so, for you. Hence, they pay them their money. They'll do it. But some, they know that if they, if they, if they misbehave with that business, they won't have a place whereby they are adding money. So this guy took us safe. And this is all Libyans, all yeah. Libyan men. All Libyan Are there men. any Libyan women involved in this? No. You don't see Libyan women no. doing no. The this? Only just Libyan, the only Libyan women who are involved, I heard of it, but I'm not, I, I never experienced it. Some of them, they will take you to sex slaves, most of these Libyan soldiers. So they are like madams, the women? Yeah, they are mm -hmm. madams, but they will take you like slave slaves, they use you in their houses, and you'll be, they'll be using you. So that's what they do. Because most of them, like, if their husband passed away, there is no other man there who married them. Right. If you are divorced, there is no other person, other Libyan man who will marry you. Only a foreigner that can come in to get married to you. Interesting. Yeah. So these guys, they will come and look how handsome or strong you are. They will just tell you that I have work for you. Whenever you come to their houses, they have big houses, but they don't mind. You know, they'll keep you in there, lock the doors and do everything and tell you that you stay here and they will use you as sex slave. And you wow. will delay your time in there. So, by crossing from that car, coming to Tripoli, mm -hmm. when I come, I come to Guri Garage. So Guri Garage is a, is a camp, it's a place whereby it's only blacks, migrants are there. Mm -hmm. But some Libyans are there because there is a, another Libyan man who controls that area called Gangster. He's a Libyan guy whom you know everybody afraid about him in that area. But he took this some Nigerians and some Gambians to control the area, the city that he's living is inside Tripoli. So everything he wants, that's what he gets. He has prisons, he has sex slaves, he has clubs, and you know, whatever he asks you to bring is what you that's what you bring. So one day he found me in an internet cafe. I was talking to my family, telling them like I'm in Tripoli but I'm free a little bit, so very soon I will start going to work so that I can pay my board feed and move on. Mm -hmm. So he met me in the internet at cafe everybody wants. So I didn't run where I said I was there browsing because I didn't know who he was. 
So he just jumped and he shoot, shoot at me three times. And then... He shot at you? Yeah, he shot at me three times, but he was missing. He just, he just wanted me to run away. And he called me to come, he hit, the, hit me with the gun and tell me why I come, you didn't run. I said, I'm sorry, I didn't know, I don't do nothing wrong. He said, why you didn't run, you don't know me? I said, no, I'm very sorry, I didn't know you. Who are you? He said, I'm Asma, you didn't know my name. You must be very brave. He said, I'm sorry, I didn't know. So he told me to kneel down and he put the gun on my head. So I kneeled down, he pointed me to a certain level that he couldn't keep it, then he just kicked me with his foot and tell me, fuck off in Arabic. And then, he wanted you to beg. Yeah. And you wouldn't. I, I didn't. I just let me to kneel down, put join the put job. Such a coward. Yeah. He's so, a horrible man. And he uh, he just left me going and have to disappear from that and gone found my life. See. So when I came out back, I asked these guys, who's this guy called him? Uh, gangster. He says he's a very big mafia. Everybody and everybody knows. Everybody sees him, you have to run away. I said, but yeah, I didn't know him though. So things were then safe for me. I, I have to pay my boat trip. Then I moved to uh, uh, Zabrata, close to the borderline between Tunisia and Libya. You know, Zabrata is next. Then you have uh, Zawiya. Were you feeling like you were getting any closer to Italy? Or well, were you just Tripoli kind of wasn't like... the place where I get closer to Italy. But I was believing like if I move to Tripoli now, if I'm going to Zabrata, I'm close now. Because that's the last point for me to take a boat and go. So when I move in there, they use a system to travel. They use a truck, put some timbers and irons on top, put blocks on top, and they leave a little room inside, and they park almost 100 people of us inside. So imagine if those blocks, the timber were broken, and there are hundreds of blocks on top. You're gonna get crushed. Everybody's gonna die. But they drive us safe and drop us in the river bank whereby a taxi another taxi have to come and took us by 10 10 you know and take us to the to the camp where they call white house right so in there i met our agent brother in there so he too we stayed here almost three four months they didn't push us we asked them why they said the agent run away from with our money what are you doing for three four months though are you working there we're not working so if the weather is not good they cannot push the sea is rougher than here. I was so you, it's like a refugee camp. You're just kind of sitting there. Yeah, we're just kind of sitting there. So the agent got the money yeah. from um, everybody, and yeah. then he leaves. He leaves. So when the agent got the money, he have to pay the big Libyan man called Mohammed Baibo, who always pushed. He's a very big mafia in Zabrata. Yes. Yeah, so he's the only one who normally push. So if, they, if we pay from Tripoli, then the agent from there have to pay from the agent who is in uh, Zabrata. Then that guy pay the Libyan and they push us. So the agent from Tripoli had the money and then left us waiting. And by then we were 44 Gambians I could take. Who pays for me? So what happens after that now? You're so all day waiting. You're all day waiting and we have to hustle by ourselves to, to able to pay for our boots. Because if you are there, nobody push you. You won't get place to eat, you won't get place to do. Else you find a phone to call for your family and they have to send you most money to the agent. We have a few more minutes before our recording time is up. Um, so, we got like four minutes. Can you, if you don't, I'm gonna do a whole nother episode. So, 
you're there. How did you, what happens after that? Is that where you end up coming back to Gambia from there? Yeah, because I joined from that camp almost five times both because I always believe like I can make money inside the camp. I was doing business, yeah. so I can do it. So whenever I make money, I pay the board. Whenever I make money, I pay the board. And it would take me like less than a month to get 1,000 dinar and I can pay the board. So sometimes I pay for my brothers to pay tips for them because some Libyan ask for tips. If you give them tips like 500 dinar, they'll put you in the board and you go. So I used that system to move on. So whenever things got worse, I pay for myself. Mm -hmm. So when they took me to the uh, detention camp, deportation camp where they call Trick Sitter, these guys were not deporting. They were asking for money, mostly the Moroccans, to pay 3,000 euros for them to be shipped to Europe. Yes. When they pay 3,000 euros, they will put you in a wooden boat and take you to, to the rescue team. Yes. And they will bring back the boat. And did that so happen? for us, they asked us $1,000. We don't have that. So we are there and they will give us once a day food and they will beat us like hell. So we didn't have that. So this journalist comes. They said, who can speak English and French? I think them I speak English, but I try French a little bit. So they said, okay, we want to use you as interview. So they interviewed me. Have three times interview. And they're not helping. Yeah. They're the only your story and they're not yeah, helping the you only, do nothing. The only woman that helped is, uh, uh, is an American journalist by the name Annie. He came in there and he asked me, tell me the real thing that's happening there. I tell them that these guys, they are not giving us proper food, no medicines. Whatever medicines come, they give only the white people who are, who are here. Like the Bangladesh, the Moroccan, and some Tunisian. So they are only giving those people medicines and, and food. But for us, the West African, they don't give us nothing. So he asked, what and what do they do? He said, they, they beat us twice in the night before we sleep. Once a day we eat, water is just like, you have to find your cane and put it in there. Sometimes if there is no water, you have to pee and drink your water. So that's why we are living in there. And he asked again, do they ever sign somebody who were deported? I said, I had a rumor saying they owe, you paid 3,000 euros to move to Italy. So he told me that I give you $10 and this camera you keep it. It's just like a button, you fix it in your shot. And anytime something has happened, just press it. I will know whatever is whatever is going, whatever thing is going. Mm -hmm. So I get back to the prison, and these guys know that this boy is, you know, talking something very, you know, interesting with this lady. So when I came back, they took the money from me, but they didn't know there's a camera on me. Mm -hmm. So they tie me and on my hands and my leg and my toe ups and beat me very serious, and I couldn't able to walk again. They banned me for eating food for three days, but as have as a friend of mine who is by the name Slimman Jalo. Your stuck. camera was on the yeah, whole time. The camera was on it on the whole time. Whenever they're about to do something, I have to put my finger on my chest, pressed it, and. Did, but this this person asked you to risk your life, yeah. and they are not rescuing you. They are not sending no, help. No, they are coming. They're coming. So when this thing happened, any following event, he she came in and told us, told me that you have to be quiet, but there will be rescue tomorrow morning. But it's not the same person, but he sent another woman okay. who came in and tell us that. You are Bobby, he said, yeah. He said, you made an interview, I said. He said, rescue is coming tomorrow night. They needed the proof. Yeah, but okay. I didn't have to say, tell nobody, like, rescue is coming. So what they did is... Bobby, we have one minute left for this. Yeah. If it cuts off, we're going to start a whole nother interview. So I'm just letting you know. Go ahead. Okay, so when they, let, when, when they come polite, let's send some Libyan boys to, to tell us politely, like, you know, the, Christian soldiers like you have to release these guys, rescue shooting come to pick them. They refuse. 
So do it to three, four times, they refuse. So they have to pay these little boys to come and attack them and start gunfire. So when they gunfire, they send a launch missile on this fence. Oh my God. And the fence got fallen. So in the following morning, they said they have negotiated. They wanted 100,000 dinar, 100,000 dinar that we gave them. But that wasn't the case. They didn't release us. The night, this Libyan, they call normally call snipers to Gujima. is the one that came and fight them and us and took us to the main deportation camp. That's how I got to the deportation camp, but I never want to go home. Woo! Okay, we Greetings, family. Yes, we are back with part two. You know I couldn't leave y'all hanging because the story is too good. So Bobby Convict back with his story of the back way. And we ended with him in the last episode talking about he didn't want to go back and he's going to pick up from there. Like I never wanted to go back home and then I have no choice. They took me to this their place in Troy City that they normally deport people because these guys they do for real. Is there a UN base or IOM base where they normally, you know, return people back from their country. So in this place we have a lot of refugees that come from different nationalities. You know, be a lot of lot of people from Bangladesh, from Pakistan, you know, from Morocco, from Sudan, Nigeria. You know, Gambia, Senegal, and so on, West Africa, goes like that. You know, so this this um, uh, deportation camp, they have to um, inform your representative ambassador, who will come and register you people and let your country knows that you are coming. So on the going, they request for people whom you know they can be doing registrations who can speak Arabic, English, and French, and I was one of them who represents Gambia. In towns like I could say I represent West Africa. I will register them, the most, most of the Gambians, those who were willing to go home, you know. But I was there staying there almost four or five months. I never want to go home. It wasn't the best use of me. I and uh, 46 of my friends, Gambian, who never wanted to go, come back home. So we were there seated and we are hoping like chance will come for us to leave this place and move. I was having a chance to be out, but I will be secured guard with um, uh, UN security guards, whom she you know that they won't allow me to be escaped. I will do as it is text for what I agree with them to sign for them some people to be sent back home. So in this move, I try so hard for, to escape, but I never have the chance. Whenever I go for mission out, I have to come back and have my food and relax till the following morning. But upon these six months all I stay in that place, I face a little bit misunderstanding with some Sudanese and we have a clans of fighting between the Gambians and the Senegal, uh, Sudanese because um, they underrate us and they don't want to share food together with us and we share food at all costs. We have mixed nationalities to share food. We don't have like Sudanese to share their base food and then the Gambians share their base food. So whenever they're eating with the Gambians, they don't want to cooperate with us. So we have to fight. And then food is not enough. So we have to make a fight so that, you know, you have to be satisfied before the food is over. So on the go, we have a, a fight because some Sudanese ate my food before I came back home. 
and I, they have to pay for it. So I have a clans with them and fight for them. So all of my friends and group joined me, then we have to fight together with the Sudanese, which wasn't the best thing. So in the night time, the general of the representative of Libyan security guard in there came in to ask who caused the crime, and they shot me out. They beat at me that night so very serious, and I couldn't put my ass on the ground. So in the following morning, they punished me and told me that you, I won't have food again for the second time. But after all, they find out that the journalists are coming for me every day, and they have to give me a post like responsible units where I can be running. So they divide their food sections into every nation. It's in every country have to have a youth leader who will always serve you food. So I will represent Gambia to be serving Gambia and Senegal food. And that was my role that I play in there. So because of your sacrifice, standing up for your rights, advocating, fighting, and getting a beating, you end up making it so that everybody got a fair amount of food. Yeah, definitely. That's how it used to be. And then I always fight for my rights wherever I am. I. So on the go, I stayed here four or five months, then the six months, I didn't have a choice. We lose two Gambians who were sick and they couldn't able to get proper medication. And people were being deported every single day. Flights are going, but we still stuck on the same place because we don't want to go back. Because we know that when we come back, things will be the same life we live in. Some people's life will be worse than the same they were living before they leave. You know, and we don't have a choice. You have to come back because people are moving. Uh, people are lost in their life. And then we introduce them to like we want to go. So everybody was happy like Gambians are moving now. You know, they have no choice. And then they bring us phones and they interview us like we are willing to go as they normally do to others. And the ambassador came and so he signed us, we had our names. And you know, that's how it happened. Then one week, the following week, the flights came in and we come back to Gambia. So when I came to Gambia before I leave, I'll our representative and the ambassador tell us, tell me that when you reach in Gambia in the airport, I need you to raise this card and ask for Sankalang Moron the truth. They will give you an interview about your history. So when I came back to Gambia, I have I've shown like thousands of microphones waiting for me to get interview, which I couldn't attend for the Sankalang Moron the truth. So I have interview with uh, uh, with my stepbrother, Channel Omar Bob with one of another uh, radio stations and a bunch of them were coming, putting mics to have interview with us. So after the interview, these guys were leaving, letting us walk by foot to go back to their, uh, uh, our homes. And the Red Cross Society were giving us phone call, phone to call our parents and let them know that, you know, we are back in the Gambia. But in the whole, I didn't notice that, like there are some people walking on foot, going back to their homes in this, uh, in, uh, in Jindum. So when I found out that I told the immigration like this was not the agreement that we have with those guys. We told them that I spoke with Front 24 like made a speech. If we came to Gambia, we are expected to be welcome. We have a hotel to at this rest for one week or three days before we move to our family. And we need upcoming capitals with which will help us to move to our people. So when these people were moving, they didn't notice that this is moving on. So I moved into them and complained straight away. There's nobody who's going to work with Bayfoot. We need a, a car that will pick us from here to the Friendship Hotel. And that's how they called the IOM and they organized a bus to come and pick us and try to move us from the Friendship host, uh, Hotel. 
So when he's spending that there, I made a very wonderful speech for the president of the world coming back and any other person who can't afford to help us with gas or capital or materials to start over. We appreciate it because we wanted to start over in a, a union that, you know, we will not be separated, we will find ourselves in. So on this whole mission, we've seen that we seen that the IOM was neglecting us a little bit in that act. And then when we are off from the Friendship Hotel, they give us each $3,600 for us to move back to our parents and have a phone at least to communicate with them whenever we want. And then they give us a note, people like, we have to fill it for the over-integration assistant. But everybody was believing like, whenever the moment we come, they have to give us back our money. So I was their youth leader and I didn't take like too much compensation. So everybody, you know, put his hope and, you know, trust in me. Like I am the one having the money. So I have to move on, like to find out exactly what's going on. Interviewer comes to me and I have to find out exactly which time do I have to release this money trust because we didn't actually know what is behind it. Behind it. So they keep us so long before this money comes and it cost us to a level that we have to fight in their office and break some glasses which and an extent they have to take us to Kandafin police station and lock us in there. So later on they negotiate the deal like it wasn't worth, worth it and they start you know releasing the project we were having our integration assistant and our support. So in this integration assistant with IOM, they will give you a cost of $59,000, which you know will be based on a business agreement. In this ag business agreement, after three months, they have to come and supervise whether your business is moving on or not. So for me, I worked for a business for tailoring workshop, but I didn't go in for that. When I picked the money, I found out, when I came back, I found out that my family house was down and I needed to help them get a house. So that was the only money that I was hoping because I didn't left any single dollars in the Gambia. So I was thinking like start the business. My mind was giving me, you start the business, your problem will be suffering without having a place to sleep. So I have to use that money to build, build for them that house. I used the $59,000 to build for them that house and it was done and then I put myself hard out. I don't want them to know where and where I'm staying and where my business is because I don't want to end up having trouble with them. So I keep myself out and focus on my lifetime, what I, what I have to do with my, my life, either start some business or learn skills. So that's what I, how I start learning on mechanic, how to diagnose Land Rover Range Rover cars, electronic cars, and then I was just at the same time having interview from different people that I couldn't recall anymore. So. When I move on, life goes on, I need, I go to a certain level that I need to switch my skill, move on to painting. And today I'm a contractor, I have a lot of jobs that I can do for myself and I have some boys that I work with me. I train some boys, some have already been trained, they work, I pay them. So thankfully like today I am here, I'm earning a little bit for myself and I'm not stealing. I don't act, uh, act on a criminalism. I'm a free man, I work for myself, which is the best thing I was willing for. Wow, Bobby. So you took this journey looking for a dream, but you actually came back here and built your own dream after everything. And you're still building, and you still see the potential, and you are hopeful. And hopefully, not hopefully, we're going to speak it into existing because we're manifesting right now. 
this story is going to get out to the world and people are going to be reaching out to you to do business with you and to see you expand and have you maybe come to their countries and speak to them about this experience. That is my manifestation for you. So I thank you so much for taking the time. Those of you who didn't listen to part one, you got to go back and get the juicy details of part one. And I just wanted to add, while Bobby was speaking, I was thinking that Bobby the Convict, whose real name is... Modulamin Bob. Modulamin Bob is a leader, a vigilant advocate, an organizer, and a speaker. So you all reach out to the brother. Um, Can you give us the details of your... Because you have a painting business and you do diagnostics on cars. Give them the name of your business and your phone number, how they can contact you. Okay, um, my team, um, uh, crew team on painting is Team Convict. So I also do car servicing. I fix cars. I can service it in your houses with my boys. And then my telephone number is um, 3207230. Say it again. Plus 2203207230. That's my telephone number. So anytime that you need a link up or you fix your car or you paint your house in a beautiful modern way, you let me know. Bobby the Convict, thank you so much. And we look forward to hearing your story as it progresses and you continue to expand in your business and in your life. And we wish you all the success and prosperity that you deserve. Thank you, family. Thank you for tuning in. See you all in the next one.